critical race theory, which comes out of critical theory that was invented by a Marxist from the Franklin School of Marxism. Mm -hmm. um, okay, when you look at the background of critical race theory, this comes out of critical theory. Where does that come from? It comes from a school called the Franklin School that comes out of Berlin. These are a group of Marxists. One of the gentlemen fled Hitler, came to the United States. He became a very prominent professor. His name is Herbert Marcuse. From the Franklin School of Marxism. Mm -hmm. The Franklin School. Once again, friends, welcome uh, to this this thing of ours. Welcome to Giving the Light to the Wrong Person. I am your host, Jeremy, here again with another collection of old friends and new. Actually, pretty much just all old friends, because we, we have an entire panel of, of returning contestants. But tonight, we were going to be discovering... We're going to be discussing the, the frightening topic of American Marxism, and in this new blocks, you know, uns, you know, unsurprisingly blockbuster tome put out by, by broadcasting legend Mark Levin. Or, yeah, it's Levin. It's not Levine because there's no e at the end of it. Mark Levin called American Marxism with a really, you know, just you know, does what. It, apparently, that's what it's about because it's with big bold letters on the front with a really cool logo that you'll probably see some people unironically getting tattoos of because they think it looks cool. Come out, you know, it's been out. I don't know, maybe uh, about a month now or so. It's has sold God knows how many hundred thousand copies. It's you know on the top of the charts. And so I uh, number one on the New York Times bestseller list. Yeah, there you go. So it's like both. So yeah, both Mark Levin and Chapo and Jordan Peterson have all you know all you know top of the uh, top of the charts. You know mm. all you know number one hits uh, on the on the the New York Times book lists. Anyway, what I have a we got a collection of academics and co-hosts and everybody in between joining us tonight. Let's go around the room. Have first have our two co-hosts introduce yourselves to the viewing audience. Hi, I'm Jacob, and I'm terrified about the spread of Marxist indoctrination in our <laughs> schools. Jacob Mercy, concerned parent. <laughs> every every yeah, I'm the I'm the I'm the guy at all those parent teacher. Uh, meetings i'm the guy at all those school ca council presentations like that's me i'm 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 just freaking out i'm drinking ivermectin <laughs> yeah you, you have yeah you have your own like dedicated chiron jacob mercy local parent local no He's local got, co local concerned parent i mean i'm an aspiring parent at the moment but i just feel like i gotta i feel like i gotta get in there early and you know there you go build up there's no law you says you can't practice you know and i think that you'll You'll be ahead of the game. Yeah. And that other voice you hear is Garrett. Garrett, say hello to the nice people. Hello. Um, also, not not a parent yet, but who knows what will happen. But I don't know what the specter of Marxism <clears throat> is. I don't like the odds for my children. I wanted them to have uh, individuality, and it looks like that's just not not in the card. So, <laughs> but in in, in quasi seriousness, I I'm I'm someone that takes Marx seriously. I would say that. Economically, certainly, I, 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 I'm a Marxist, and I've read some Marx and some related stuff from the Franklin School. <laughs> <laughs> 
There we go. And uh, two two returning guests tonight, one from very recently, one from long, long ago. Jason, can you, would you introduce yourself uh, to the viewing audience? It's been about three or four years since we've last heard from you, I think. Maybe three. I, I think I think my Facebook memory said it was three years ago, very recently. Yeah. Hello, listeners. I'm Jason, friend of the pod. And I am the guy that, that Levin fears. I would introduce myself to students when I was teaching at university as the Marxist that wanted to turn them all onto the gauge. And so... <laughs> I am the educated enabler of victimhood that, that Levin fears. I am a parent, and I am not worried for my girls because I can't wait to raise them into the communist gauge and, uh, and make them hateful lesbians or whatever Levin fears they'll be. But yeah, happy to be back and looking forward to making jokes about Levin for the next hour or so. Yeah. Astute listeners will remember Jason from our little two-parter we did in 2018 on uh, liberalism versus socialism where there was a, a series where I think it, for some reason that summer we ta- we mentioned or name dropped John Rawls about five mm-hmm. different consecutive episodes relating to different topics and I have no idea how that happened but you know that's the that's the that's the way these things go our other returning champion is uh, professor Andrew Hartman Andrew Hartman we uh, take a bow and say hello to the viewing audience yeah thanks to be back I make a living indoctrinating about 100, 150 young people into Marxism in the state of Illinois every year. It's going pretty well. I don't get paid enough money to do that, but, you know, there's hope. There's a lot of hope that once we uh, create the autocracy, that love and fear, we can just enrich ourselves as the Marxist indoctrinators. But in any case, I'm excited to talk about this book because I've been, for the last seven years, researching a book titled Karl Marx in America. So damn it, Levin stole my thunder. <laughs> yeah, it's a real problem for me. Yeah, you know, jumped, I was hoping to get the New York Times bestseller here. Yeah, he grabbed on the, he jumped on that, you know, grabbed all those uh, best, grabbed, grabbed all of those bulk book buys uh, before you, you know, could. When a right wing radio host like Levin jumps to the top of the New York Times bestseller list, we have to take this with a grain of salt because there's a bunch of like rich conservatives who buy thousands and thousands of copies and just like store them in their basement or mail them to people or mail them to their grandma. I don't know. They, they're really invested, even though they hate the New York times, they're really invested in getting their books at atop the New York times to, you know, own the libs. Well, own the libs, but also, I mean, to be, to be fair, it, it does seem to be performing fairly well on Amazon, which I understand is a little bit harder to juke the stats on, but no, no. that's I'd say- just because people are, buying it doesn't necessarily mean that they're reading it i think people are buying it actually a guy i work out with is a conservative and he told me he's been listening to it in his car i'm like wow i hope for his sake levin actually read the book you know for for the audio version in that nasally voice of his i can't decide if that would make it better or worse it would be authentic don't you think or the or they hire (laughs) uh they hire what's his face. Who's who's the guy who does who voices Master Shake? It's the first day of eternity because I just found out that I'm fucking immortal. Well, congrats, your damn lesson. Thank you. That's a big deal. Yeah. Question: Am I immortal? I hope not, but you could be. You know, he loves the poor and the gross and slimy and worthless and look at you. You're all those things. Who you talking about? Who loves me? The guy in here, man. And the guy in here, the Bible. 
This is the Bible. You question the words of the mighty Jimmy? Imperial President, please, please give us Obamacare. I'm going to make you like it. Because that's what we radical left-wing ideologues do. Screw you. Screw the Constitution. Screw elections. Balance of power. Checks and balances. None of it matters. I can't remember the name of the voice actor, but but yeah, that's the. But a lot of people have pointed out of or to the point of even cutting, you know, mix, you know, mixing audio of Mark Levin with footage of Master Shake ranting about something, and it's it's hard to tell one from the other. But you know, I was thinking, so I I'm writing a book that. It's about Marx. I've basically read all of Marx. None of that will help me in analyzing this book. Not a, not an ounce of it. But yeah. I have to say, I, I've done a lot of historical research on the American right, and that's really, I think, what we'll have to end up talking about because this really fits in a sort of larger 100-year context of American right-wing conspiracy thought in relation to Marxism and communism and socialism. Mm-hmm. And, it, and, and as well as kind of mutating or merging into its current, not even, well, not, well, I should say not just its current, but rather its extended culture war form. Yes. But uh, thank you. Anyway, thank you, Jason and Andrew, for joining us again on this lovely Wednesday night. All right. To start with initial impressions all around, uh, everybody take whoever wants to start first. Give your how about giving your 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 like a, a bit of a gloss, a a quick little review. Uh, you know, what do you what would you say about this book? Jacob, you could go first. <laughs> I found this book to be a delight. It's got thrills. It's got chills. It has some very strange acting. The twist is not to be missed. I just realized I'm actually talking about the recently released film Malignant. Which I That's recommend. Bad. This book was like Malignant in the sense that it is absolutely horrible to imagine going through and just experiencing. I was I this is like one of the rare books that we've done for the pod that I was actually unable to finish. It is excruciating to read. And I found it kind of weird because, like, Levin, I actually listened to a bit of Levin, and he is, he probably has one of the worst voices for radio that I've ever heard, but he does, he is a genuinely skilled orator. Like, he's 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 coherent, he makes arguments, he is dramatic, he starts yelling, and that's entertaining, and he's really, really good at what he does. He doesn't necessarily have natural gifts, but he makes it work. And... None of that rhetorical flair is on display here. It is excruciating to read. And it's even worse when you start going through the citations because they are just absolutely baffling. Like, you're trying to follow the argument and see where it leads, and it's just taking you nowhere. I mean, there are so many references to Daily Wire articles, Fox News articles, his own books, and... You know, I I tried to approach this in good faith, but at the end of the day, I was just like, I like this is just like an angry Facebook post, just more rigorously done, barely. Yeah, and it's like I mean, this is it's the kind of book where he, where yeah, he will he will he yeah the the footnotes will he will cite himself for his own book, like and you'll get like twelve ibids in a row. Or he'll cite some like Breitbart article, or just just the worst, just the worst like mendacious, disingenuous shit out there. He'll happily throw in there. Although, it, yeah, but the citations will be stuff like you know, Mar- Marxists are totalitarian. Source: the book I wrote last year. Like, well, that's not that's not helpful. 
Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Who would like to go next? I can jump in. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't have a ton to add. I, I thought it was really interesting that by page two of the introduction, he'd already mentioned three of his other books. Uh, <laughs> uh, so it's like, hey, if you don't get past the introduction, you know the other books of mine that you can buy that you can uh, let sit around. No, it was, it, it was Jacob's right. I don't know, I don't know that I have a ton to add. It, it, it really, it really like by the third chapter, I just, it just felt like punishment, and I, and I, and I thought it was going to be fun, and but, but it was bad. Again, I, I was encouraged to hear that Marxists are doing so. What I've been in spaces with Marxists trying to get something done, and it seemed like it was a little untidy, but it's good to know that that it's not as bad as I think. Yeah, and, and it's just like, it really was like, Jeremy, you mentioned something earlier about interns. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if an intern basically, you know, wrote 80% of the book because it is just quote, I mean, blocks and blocks of quotes of either things he's already written or, you know, or or, or direct quotes from other other shitty sources and some some good sources, you know. You get some Rousseau and Hegel and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. We'll see. One is one. Yeah, one of the the one weird, almost like accidental benefit of him quoting because he will quote another. He'll like you know mention talk about you know you know for I think my primarily for padding reasons, but he'll mention some other author or some other book and he'll quote them for like three or four pages at a time. And some of the stuff he actually was quoting, like oh that's kind of interesting. It's like let me write that down. Of you know, it's almost like in, in, an interesting and informative quote, like you know, despite himself. It is an oasis in a sea of tedium. Yeah, Jason, you want to go? Yeah, you know, I, I think, I guess, I, I, I take this a little differently in some regards. I mean, yeah, it's not, it's not a fun read by any means, and it's very formulaic with like you know, large quotes followed by a baseless rejection of the quote. You know, where he might cite himself to defend, you know, his rejection of it, you know, followed by largely rhetorical questions that, that conservatives will nod their head to like, hell yeah, brother, but have no answer to. Right. But, uh, but I, you know, I, I actually come away from this thinking like this guy is a, just a mastermind genius in propaganda. And, and part of that is, is kind of telling myself to read it and, and, and take the, take the author seriously as, as a, as a force and as a threat in, in some ways. But I mean, for all of its, for all of its faults, if you if you kind of take the step back, like your initial like rejection of it is warranted. But then if you take a step back and think about who the audience of, of the text probably is, you know you can, you yeah, can hear the the, sure. the applause roaring. You know what I mean? And and I, and I find I find a, a text like this or just a guy like Levin in general really interesting, sort of for 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 real left, if you will, real leftist discussions of, of praxis and, and like. You know, how do you how do we account for for guys with these platforms and, and, you know, you know, pumping out books relatively annually? You know, I mean, this book is so current. He's able to talk about last year's, you know, protests and, and you know, woke people. And yeah, he mentioned stuff and, from, you know, he mentioned he mentioned stuff from April as, as, yeah, as late yeah. as April. Yeah. So, I mean, you can see how like and that's how, you know, the Franklin School error gets in there. Right. Like you said, like I think we were saying offline before, like. There's not a real editor here. It's just like this guy's he's got a name. He's at a certain status. He can throw shit down on pages and we're going to put it out there because it's going to be an Amazon, you know, Amazon pre-sale number one, New York Times bestseller number one. And let's just kind of keep the, the propaganda machine moving, you know. So for me, it's really interesting to kind of read from that perspective and think about, you know, what kind of fuel 
this is adding to the already long burning fire of, you know, culture wars and ideology and such. Like I, I'm reading this and I just kind of hear Zizek sniffing in the background, you know, just like the ideology <laughs> Zizek, of it. it yeah. Zizek is not mentioned in this book. <laughs> he is not. Yeah. But I, and very few like quote unquote real Marxists are, you know, but, but yeah, I, I, it's, I, I, I mean, I, I guess I convinced myself to maybe take it a little more seriously than maybe I should just to kind of force myself to, I won't say that I read every page, but I will say that I actually looked at every page of the of the bootleg rip PDF. But yeah, I don't know. It's 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 interesting. What but what what I think that if I if I kind of put it all like in a sentence though, I, I really think he took Marx's a specter's haunting America thing and took it serious and owned it and it, and it's like this like half-ass sort of limp battle cry but you know he's like he's calling all the powers of old america into a holy alliance to exercise the specter right you know church and state trump and dr seuss patriots and blue lives matter you know we've got something to fight here and he's he's he's, you know doing this half-ass propaganda you know call to to arms there which is is hilarious on one hand but also i think kind of strangely fascinating on the other hand you know gotcha thank you andrew yeah, I also take it seriously. I guess um, a little bit differently than Jason does, though. Levin is he fa- he sort of falls in line with a long string of conservatives who have written books or otherwise sort of like publications or productions that have going back really to the 1930s blamed everything they hate, usually liberalism or the Democratic Party blamed it or lumped it together with Marxism, sometimes communism or socialism, but often Marxism. So, like, this is a less well done but equally popular version of Elizabeth Dilling's The Red Network, which came out in the early 1930s and basically was a sort of glossary or compendium of all the people and organizations that she considered Marxist. And so included amongst that sort of list of monsters was Eleanor Roosevelt and John Dewey. And so that's a really interesting connection because Levin spends a couple of pages on John Dewey and other sort of progressive era liberal thinkers in terms of trying to sort of connect them to Marxism. He doesn't do a good job of it. But I have read better jobs done of that, of the connection of Dewey to Marxism. And in fact, there was a sort of progressive education scare in the 1940s and 1950s in which you had right-wingers sort of storming school boards, like we're seeing now with critical race theory. You know, Now they're inspired by Levin, who were inspired by conservatives like Elizabeth Dilling, storming school boards, freaking out about progressive education and the influence of John Dewey, the specter of John Dewey. So Levin really just like kind of fits in this context. And so the, the really interesting thing for me to try to figure out is – why Marxism now? Like, why does Levin think that Marxism is the scare tactic that's going to sort of rile mm-hmm. up the, the the far right base to turn against? Not that they need to turn against it, but to really sort of rally against liberalism, the Green New Deal, critical race theory, all of the sort of like the glossary of things he 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 lists in details and catalogs in this book and puts under the umbrella of America of of Marxism or what he calls American Marxism. So that's that's kind of what I was thinking about. It would have it's really easy to talk about what a 
poorly written book it is my my freshman students would get an f not just because he doesn't like use real evidence to support his claims in the ways in which jacob was talking about like you go to these footnotes and you're like well that's not how you support your claim also not just in the way in which he just compiles like two-page block quotes with single sentence poorly written transitions and you know he goes but but also in the sense that like he goes between some of the greatest thinkers in like modern (laughs) in modern western thought you know like rousseau hegel he barely quotes marx dewey i would put him in that category marcuse and then rent yeah and then he follows them up with oftentimes not always sometimes he'll quote like a legitimate substantial liberal or conservative anti-marxist like like raymond Aron. but more often he'll cite like two-bit heritage foundation thinker mm-hmm. or he'll cite himself as we said so or ayn rand yeah, or Ayn Rand. Speaking of two bit, so it's easy to be really cynical and just say this is the piece of crap. I can't believe I spent a couple hours of my life reading this book, but the fact that it's incredibly popular and it sort of tracks with this century long history of right wing thought, I think, is uh, interesting and worth those of us on the left paying attention to. I didn't realize it was that popular, so that was. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. You'd, uh, you'd, my part. Yeah, having that perch of a of like regular Fox News sets and his radio gigs, and I think he like he like he's I don't know if he is he's fully grabbed. But I know that he was one of the people trying to grasp at the mantle after Limbaugh died, and I know he definitely subbed for Limbaugh a couple times. But yeah, yeah he got into radio with Limbaugh, right? More than likely, he was like a, a recurring guest on his show. I think is where he first kind of. I did, a, I did like, I spent an afternoon, like, looking into Levin, because, like, I kind of knew his name as, you know, as just, like, talking head for the right, but I, I don't follow many of those monsters regularly, so I'm pretty sure he got into radio as a regular guest on Limbaugh, and that's kind of what, what broke him in, what took him away from, I mean, he was in government for many years, and then he, he did, he was in one of the conservative think tanks for a while, you know, attacking teachers unions and shit, but I think he got into radio through Limbaugh, yeah. Yep. But yeah, for my thing, it's, uh, the, I mean, I read most of the book. I think after a while, just, it just became a thing because, you know, read an ebook copy of it and then just started just, you know, scanning through pages. I'm like, yep, still quoting, still quoting, tap, 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 mm-hmm. still quoting, nope, okay, that's it. And just kind of, yeah, it, it, tedium is one thing. There is the, it is, a, again, remarkable how much he was able to kind of just squirt this out this year. Like the, like the opening chapter does mention talking about how so many American icons are under attack. Mark Twain, William Shakespeare, Mr. Potato Head, Dr. Who's, Dr. Seuss, Disney cartoons, ad infinitum. Pronouns are, pronouns are banned. And, uh, you know, un- which uh, that's actually part of a, that was a direct quote from the first chapter. And it's, it, it does remind me of like this, what the standard like right wing thing is all about because they're all, they're, you know, it's entirely more tribal than ideological because it's pretty much just they grab, they, they kind of co- conflate anybody who is not in their in group as just all out group, but also and they don't differentiate between different, you know, differing fact people of that out group. It's pretty much if you're not, if you're not conservative enough, you must be one of them. Which is why they they attack like Fox News lately because of and talk about how it's a part of the 
part of the conspiracy of the rest of the mainstream mainstream media, yada yada yada, for not being sufficiently pro-Trump. But also, he will he will do the thing where like they, they I mean not only, so they will conflate everybody who's not them, but they will also use the most because you know because an effective tactic is just hyperbolic. You know, just denunciation and just using the worst terms possible. So you, you use like the most like radical terms to describe even like the most you know milk toast liberal thing possible. But it's like it's like everything gets gets flattened all you know all is like far left extremist, which is why you get stuff yeah. from like you know like. Well, uh, I mean, I think I think he explicitly says that that is an intentional tactic that he is adopting, and he uh, is doing it because it's a Alinskyite maneuver. And he mentions that late, like in the, I think chapter seven, which I found delightful because I don't think I have ever heard a leftist mention Saul Alinsky unironically. But holy shit, conservatives will not shut the fuck up about this guy. They can't let him go. It's, hey, it, it was it. It got it. Somebody found out about him for the two thousand two thousand and eight campaign, and they just can't let it go. Yeah, Alinsky is is mentioned in this book more than. I, I don't know Richard Wolf. Yeah, like <laughs> there know, there are lots of these, these right wing bugaboos. They all come out in this book. The Piven Cloward famous essay they or famous article they wrote way back in the '60s, in which they argued that welfare recipients should like flood the flood the welfare offices and make it crash in order to sort of create a crisis that would force the federal government to make welfare a right rather than you know. Mm-hmm. They, they wrote this article in the 1960s, and conservatives have been, like, for the last 10 years, they rediscovered it and have been bitching about it as this, like, central dogma of liberalism that should be feared. But I think uh, you make a really good point that it's tribal, Jeremy, in the sense that – or uh, I can't remember who made that point, but it's in the Me sense probably, that uh, yeah. it's, sure. not even, it's not even a very ideological book – it's it's certainly not sort of attempting to make a philosophical statement even in the most basic terms he just assumes that his reader whatever understands what it means to be pro-american what it means to be a small r republican when he really means big r republican he assumes his reader will understand what it means to be in favor of individualism liberty yada 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 without explaining what that is or why Mm -hmm. exactly marxism or any of the other things that aren't marxism that he thinks are marxism are a threat to this way of life yeah, it's a, it's some of the stuff I noticed about the, the the way that he talks about it is very much of a like in the style that like almost all like oh, you know the, the mainstream cur- most you know the vast majority of American reactionary currents are a what do you call it? like a, a, you know an emotional affect like the you know there's no, there's not a lot of ideological ideology here so much as like the, they are bad and like the except yeah. for like these particular tone these catchphrases these these talismanic words you know stripped or de-indexed from all meaning you know are just you know, that is what we'll go at i mean the the, the thing just yeah. the the recent i mean it's this was made <laughs> i mean literally he admitted when like Christopher Rufo, the guy who brought who brought back critical race theory as this as this like bet noir, this bugaboo, um, from you know like last we just became because he got he got on. 
Tucker like last summer and somebody in the White House or Trump or somebody, you know, was watching that and got, you know, and got Rufo to come to the White House and they, they became this big thing. And but Rufo was actually like, you know, posted on Twitter about how like it's one of those things where he, you know, he knew that all of the stuff they they were, you know, he was saying about this particular, you know, this this you know this concept was act was, has actual meaning, you know, an actual like a you know this in its actual theory. It's like he did, you know, he knew he was using it wrong and didn't care, which is almost one of those things. Where like whenever people or like well-meaning liberal types or anybody tries to like correct them about what this actually correct anybody spouting off on this, you know, trying to use it as a cudgel, it's like you're missing the point. It's kind of there is you know these are like i don't know like, like, it's kind of a fascinating fascinating study in like tribal semiotics or like signifiers of like these are these are concepts that are like so deliberately torn out of you know torn away from anything that they originally referred to of that it was it yeah. almost it reminded me of something of i think something i, I like a, some sort of like scrap of uh, wittgenstein that i was reading that mm-hmm. talking about how you know when he uses a, when 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 i use a word it means something when my parrot says the same word it doesn't and it's like you know it's like it's stripped of and you know it's stripped of this extra of like you know any actual meaning so it's just this big emotional Fire hose is coming right. at you, just saying that you know this is bad, this is bad, this is bad, and so like I mean that's the thing. Like he keeps using the phrase Marxist anarchist repeatedly in here, and so it's kind of a thing of like it's the same of like like it's, it's like all the right wing people they got bored of using you know when Bill O'Reilly would use SP or secular progressive as a slam, so they needed they must be you know communist Marxist anarchist liberal or something they they will just they'll throw these terms as just extra you know extra you know just ways of denigration even though they're like you know even when they are mutually exclusive yeah I got really excited when I saw the anarchist thing come up but I did a search and there's zero references to Bakunin yeah so I I did the same I was kind of curious really like disappointing well there 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 are a couple of instances where Levin or his interns whoever's writing this makes due reference to the fact that like for example critical race theory or degrowth yeah. ecological thinking is actually not marxist and like marxist you know like and that marxists have been critical of these particular ways of thinking but he'll it'll just be a throwaway sentence Mm-hmm. And then he'll just say, "But actually, they're Marxists because they hate America, or something of of something not much more profound than that." Yeah, which really sort of gets you then back into his main points. Like Marxism is anything that sort of looks at the world, looks at America, and decides things are not good, and that there's conflict, there's oppression, there are different groups of people who are at each other's throats and thus it's marxism so critical race theory is not marxist but for levin it's marxist and well and I, I mean you know the, <clears throat> theories theories are complicated things and they can have different relationships with different ideas so i'm sure that there are versions of critical race theory that are extremely marxist but the other thing that i would point out is i checked out the world socialist website today which is sure why the, not yeah. a fourth inter- it's a fourth international thing but you know they have basically sort of socialist angled news and i like to have a broad spectrum of information coming in and one of the things that i found really fascinating was they are actually working on a book collection called the new york times 1619 project and the racialist falsification of history 
which is this, you know, fairly aggressive attack on the 1619 project, and this is coming from socialists. So, yeah, that's the whole, you know, are you, what's the, Adolf Reed's been in this fight. What's the word I'm looking for? Reductionism. Race reductionism or classes, class, class reductionism, yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting across what, what what each of you guys are saying. It, it, you know, for me, I I kind of took it in, in a maybe a more simple terms in some ways, but 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 connected as like a Venn diagram here. I think for me in my mind, less it, it is tribal, and I, I for me it struck me as a little less a sort of emotional affect as Jared was, Jeremy was saying, and more it's really moral aggrandizing, right? That you know, like the the whole book is kind of like he kind of starts off on almost immediately, like you know, there are patriots. And there are people who, who love this, love the country and love freedom and liberty and love their families and, you know, and our, our society and our culture under attack by these losers, right? These, these, the disenfranchised and the disillusioned and the unhappy. And it's this really large, I mean, he's, he's, again, he's, he's drawn the lines there to his audience, which I think Andrew is getting at. Like, I don't have to get super ideological here because I assume my audience shares values with me. So what I'm, what I'm doing is I'm kind of lumping everything that could be remotely center to left of center in this sort of group of 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 immoral you know others right Right. the losers the lazy the the unhappy and 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 what it is and this is what the whole the whole chapter the media chapter if you will but he has a whole chapter it's like the problem is is there's 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 these people that lose our system and our society and our cultures it is there are losers in that society and they have these intellectual enablers in the media and academia that are leading them in this crusade to destroy American culture and society, right? And a lot of it, you know, like, as we've said, it, there's these long block quotes of, of, you know, whether it's uh, some great scholar like Arendt or, you know, some clown from the Heritage Foundation or whatever, followed by like a, you know, a citation to his own work and a quote with some rhetorical question, and, you know, and it's a dismissive line and a transition to the next thing, right? But but within all that, like he's he's really kind of laying out the lines, the, the lines in the sand, you know, the battle lines of like, there's this immoral, you know, unholy group, if you will, like out to destroy us, and and, and we have a fight here on our hands, and and that struck me as really interesting. I read it in, in, in strictly moralistic, maybe not strictly, but largely moralistic terms, and much less ideological terms. Yeah, yeah. If that makes sense, I don't know. So it's almost as if Levin is Nietzsche. But substituted <laughs> instead of Christianity, substituted Marxism, and Marxism for him is like the will to power of the weak, the losers. Yeah, it's the. I was Almost, say, it, yeah. it, it it definitely parallels uh, genealogy of morals of like the of like this weak and meek loser uh, morality system that where they have to like invert the values or something. Nietzsche's Nietzsche's a little bit more of a pleasurable read, I would have to say. Yeah, <laughs> much more. Gotta love those. Athletes. I mean, there is kind of a there is kind of a weird correlation between Nietzsche and Ayn Rand too, right? Yeah, but and, and even my and well, not according to Ayn Rand, she says she says she only read uh, Aristotle. That even though it feels so much like Nietzsche when you read her. Yeah, it's, I mean, well, just her ideas just sprang forth from her. <laughs> Riddle and addled brain. So, <laughs> yeah, I remember just, but even like the my late, yeah, my late philosophy professor Fritjof Bergman, the guy who actually taught me some of the stuff back in Ann Arbor years ago, would talk about how like you know even it was very obvious that you know that Ayn Rand had read this, had read Nietzsche, but like had, but 
didn't get it because, you know, as he described it, you know, selfishness is not selfish enough. It's kind of it's why we need we need a better word. I mean, atomized is a much better word than kind of like individuated or individualized because our system atomizes people. It's not just an individual thing because it does not create individuals. You know, there's no there's no develop there is no development of the self. We just have. I mean, I say this is because you know we just had the last man as president, and we've had several last men. You know, in still in prominent, prominent, powerful positions. But anyway, no, I wanted to read something really quick. But damn it, I because I I would highlight. I mean, going looking through my my ebook now, I I I, I mean, there's like almost some, on certain chapters, there's something on every on like every page. There's something. Okay, here we go. This is from the first, the opening chapter. Is what then is the appeal of Marxism? American Marxism has adapted the language and allure of utopianism, which I wrote about at length in my book, Ameritopia. It is, and then he goes on to quote himself for several paragraphs, and it's it's um I don't know I mean it's, it's like I said there's at some it's at some point it is it can be kind of aggregating but also very very funny that again of like this is what happens when you just when the entire book is written attacking this empty signifier it's like yeah if everybody knows yeah Marx was a real utopian and in fact he he attacks Marx is like and Marx wanted to create this workers paradise like. Yeah, it's it's this weird thing. It is almost like actually, I don't even know if he even mentioned Stalin in this book or not. But it's like all everything. I did. A, I I I actually have an answer to that. Let me look that up. Okay, I, but I don't think but you named Stalin. He mentioned Stalin a grand total of five times. Okay, he mentions the the tens of millions of people killed by Marxism. Yeah. Yeah, he implies Stalinism. Yeah. 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 Right. That's interesting that he doesn't say Stalin, though. I wonder why not. Uh, Because he he mentioned, like, so the results are he's talking about it with relation to John Dewey, and he's talking about Stalin's collectivist agenda, and how the New York Times was a quote propaganda sheet for Stalin's early regime. (laughs) Interesting. I think the Dewey connection was was that when he was talking about how Dewey. And he says Dewey early on admired the Russian Revolution, but then Stalin, you know, pushed him away from it or something. I think that might have been where well, the Dewey connection to Stalin was in the book. But. So many American liberals admired the Russian Revolution during the 1920s. Really, they admired the new economic plan and they had mm-hmm. traveled to the Soviet Union and came back sort of in glowing admiration of the the collective planning that was happening on a scale that they wanted happening in the United States in the 1920s. Yeah. But yeah, I read that. Heck, who doesn't, who doesn't appreciate the Russian revolution? That czar was a real dick. Fuck that guy. Yeah. <laughs> well, like, they, I don't understand how you can't like I, every, everybody should like the Russian revolution. That's the good part. Well, the, the funny you mentioned that because like, in the, like even the parts where he's, that's another thing. Uh, one thing I, maybe this is like some sort of how he developed his weird, like the bug in his ass against uh, about Rousseau. Maybe it's some sort of weird, like working backwards from a conclusion of, of, yeah. of like me, because it's like, okay, the Russian revolution was obviously bad because it, you know, it's set up all these things. So he, he just works backwards backwards and like therefore like the french revolution must be bad and then so and and by extension like rousseau must be bad that is the one connection i never got the, well i'm not not that i put like you know any thought into I it or because i think it's because rousseau talked to, he was the one you know the early writer on this notion of inequality right like and and, the general will the common good yeah, yeah. 
and he and and I actually think that 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 Levin has a sort of historical viewpoint, and, but it's just maybe the connections he makes are unusual. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, he's not the first to connect Rousseau. There's there's kind of a long tradition yeah. of this by way more serious intellectuals than Levin. Like he, maybe he's read Alan Bloom's Closing of the American Mind because Alan Bloom was in part a Rousseau scholar and read Rousseau deeply with a pretty sophisticated understanding, but ultimately did argue that Rousseau was one of the progenitors of the type of relativistic progressive thought that was destroying the West. Yeah, he, so, he, I mean, and, and there's a lot of conservative thinkers have sort of connected Marx back to Rousseau. So he's not original there, even though it might come across as a little bit of, you know, <laughs> a little bit different. Well, I was, I was actually... I was just more trying to point out that Levin seems to have a connection between thinkers over time yeah. that he's that he's displaying in in the book. Like like to I I'm almost kind of saying it to his credit. So at least it seems to me to give me a notion of somewhat how he's thinking about this thing, you know. I yeah. I'm just I'm taking him at his word that he really does he's really terrified of marxism and blah blah blah. I mean, we know he's manipulating to a, a certain degree, but but there's some kernel that is real there. And, yeah. But but it is interesting to think that like I think of things I because of Marx I've come to think of things in these historical terms as as you know systems that that develop over time, and it seems like he's doing that at least to some degree as well. I mean, I, I, for me, like I, I think I think a, a core target here is Andrew, right? Is is professors like he? I mean. Right. Levin got into politics in his 20s, getting on some local uh, education board, right? But that's kind of where he, like, I think he has this long history of, of these Marxists, you know, quote unquote Marxists, come into our education system and they start brainwashing our kids early. So I, I think, you know, I think part of it is, I don't know if it's him or his, or his probably Ivy League interns that are doing the connections that Andrew was talking about. Like, you know, Dewey was attacked, you know, in his time. By you know by these conservative intellectuals at that time, you know, there's a re- like he's not going after Dewey accidentally, right? Like there's a long history of conservatives going after Dewey, and Dewey is taught in multiple disciplines on campuses all across the country, right? Like Dewey is a specific target for a reason, and I think he wants to to trace this these origins, you know, like on the one hand, it's probably just to sort of like you know wave his hand that I can connect, you know, that I understand there's a connection from Rousseau to Hegel to Marx, right, intellectually, but. But it, it, I think it's tracing these these sort of intellectual histories, if you will, these interest, intellectual sort of narratives or connections, all back to the to the to the real problem here is a guy like Andrew is gonna you're gonna send your kids to college. I mean, part of his his prescription in the end, right, is are you paying for your kids' college? Well, then you have a say in where they do, where they go. Don't send them to some school where there's gonna be some goddamn Marxist indoctrinating them, right? You know, like like there's a real like a, a very visceral enemy in this text is is this this bad elite, if you will, the intellectuals and the media and things. And I think there's I think part of the historicism, for lack of a better word there, not to give them too much credit, but part of that historicism of connecting Rousseau to Hegel and such and trying to, you know, dropping in a rent and doing these things that I think he and his probably Ivy League interns are aware of this history of these obvious targets and their connections here but but he only has to do it obviously at a very superficial level right like let's just kind of gloss over it rousseau was you know rousseau gives uh, you know gives us the idea of the general will and what is the general will that that's the submission of the individual's uniqueness and and identity into the 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 group right 
And that's where this starts. And then Hegel takes it to a new level and Marx takes it to the ultimate level of the oppressor versus the oppressed. And all the oppressed people, really what they are is it's just sort of Lockean. They're the, they're the lazy, you know, immoral losers of the system, right? And then all they're doing is just complaining and leeching on anything they can to overthrow the system that they don't like because they're losers in it, right? And, and you know, and, and again, maybe I'm, I'm probably giving him maybe a little too much credit here and and and, and attributing like more connections than there are, but yeah. But I, I don't think I, mean, I don't well, think anything here is accidental. If that makes sense, you know, I, I think there's a little yeah, more method to much, the madness. I don't know how much credit to give him. I mean, that's that's where I'm coming from. Like to to you know, I think that what he says is convincing to people. Like like no, no question about that. I I just I don't I I don't know you know how 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 deep a thinker he actually is about this and then what his conception of history is and how it ought to work or how it does work. You know what I mean? Yeah. He, he, he does mention that from here and there, talk about how like he does, the, he feels the need to do like the, the standard, like has to cheerlead for capitalism. Talk about how the industrial, the, the industrial revolution is good, has created the greatest middle class ever. Yeah. You know, again, these are all like deep, you know, fucking like deep, you know, decontextualized, mystified horse shit and standard of living. Yeah. And then, but it's also I, it, the one thing he does describe, and uh, there are some very funny, Again, it's one of those things where I don't know if he's deliberate. Actually, I doubt he's doing this stuff deliberately. I think it's just a weird mix of both being lazy and also not caring. Like describing Marx's idea of history as material historicism, which is a really, <laughs> a really weird. Like, wait a minute, that's not what. But also, I mean, but he yeah, he does the standard. Like, actually, this is kind of you know talk about you know yeah the history of right wing attacks of anything socialist forever. Well, two things. One is that I think the. Um, the reason why they have to, they had to, they had to escalate the scary terms just to attack all of their, just to freak out all of their, you know, the kind of much more like boomer audience is that, like, they can't, because they can't just say socialist anymore because guess what? You know, Bernie helped, Bernie broke that, broke that, that prohibition against that word. So that, that's no longer scary anymore. Plus, it's one of those things where they, you know, they threw that out at Obama for eight years and a lot of people were like, hey, wait a minute, you know, socialism is when the government does stuff. Well, then hell, you know, we're, we're for that and so they have to get much more this actually andrew you said they have to return to this much older uh, this much older playbook of like which you know shit all the, the original american socialists were accused at the same time of like propagating this for this foreign german you know rabble rousing philosophy that was brought you know that was brought to you know you know pure america by all these dirty german immigrants you know coming over from like the mid 19th century and onward well, speaking of but, that, but, so. yeah, it, it, even though even though he doesn't actually engage with that, like there's no, nothing he, he doesn't here engage about, like, in the shit. He, he doesn't engage in shit. It's just like it's it's just it's it's he it's just like you know he's got a shovel and he's gonna shovel as much crap onto you know it's, you know just throw it as much like shovelfuls of anything at people as he can. Anyway, sorry for interrupting. No, but I think you know you make a good point. In my in looking at the sort of reception of Marx across American history since the 1840s, which is what I'm doing with this book right now, I've noticed that there are probably four, three, definitely three periods in American history, and maybe a fourth in which there's this sort of like boom of interest in Marx and Marxism. The first is in the Gilded Age, and Marxism is like intimately tied mm -hmm. up with. The rise of the Debsian social socialist party mm -hmm. and and the Wobblies and like the whole sort of like 
coterie of radical labor and socialist movements, left movements that, that emerged in that time period. The second, of course, is in the 1930s, mostly attached to the Communist Party, but not solely. And then the 1960s, sort of like loosely amongst student radicals, new left groups, etc. I think maybe we're in one now, and it's not like a very sort of forceful political movement, I think, but there's been more sort of interest, more sort of recognition of Marx and Marx's importance in the last like 10 to 15 years than there mm. certainly had been since the 1960s. Yeah. And each time this happens, there's like a reaction to it that is pretty intense. And so the United States, unlike most nations, has experienced these like intense red scares that oftentimes track any type of like left wing political um, traction. And he so he couches this book as if what he's trying to do is instigate another red scare. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which, which is yeah, but he's he's not even doing a good job of that though. I mean, well, that would require, know, I, that would that would require I, effort. I don't think he's doing a good job of it, but I think that's what he would like to see. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I'm I'm a big Cold War nerd, and I love reading about spies and history and stuff. And you know, I I was sort of wondering if he was going to get into any of the actual, you know, like the Rosenbergs or anything like that. But there's there's just nothing there. Like yeah. it's it, he doesn't even mention like Harry Dexter White. Who is a you know senior U.S. Treasury Department official who was basically working as a Soviet informant like that? If you want to talk about American Marxism and really make a case about it, like that's re- really you know I think relevant. But you know nothing like there there there's just like it was it was baffling to me because I, I feel like there's a there's a very interesting aggressive version of this book that could have been written. And it's just, it's not here. Right. And I think at some point, I think it would be useful for us to talk about what we all, what we all think the function of the book is for. Cause I think part of this is, I think, because I think, well, and this is also one of the, one of the, uh, one of the mistakes I think a lot of like modern leftists do is that because most people, you know, kind of get radicalized, you know, some of it is through because life is, ra- you know, life is traumatizing right now. Well, it has been forever and trauma can radicalize, but also a lot of people get, ra- get will self radicalize through books. And so that be- there becomes a, a self selecting, more conscious ideological aspect to it. And I think the problem, is, and I think, well, one of the, one of the epistemic pitfalls is to, Maybe not project, but certainly assume that a lot of other people, you know, think in, you know, or paid this much kind of attention to these kind of things or they actually put effort into coming up with some sort of, you know, actually that most people have some sort of like coherent ideology or not. And, and I think the, the, the and I think the, pro, the, the problem with that mindset when approaching this book is that it's almost like we're, you know, because we're used to reading things and talking about it, things, you know, things with purpose, like we're, we're used to, like, you know, accepting that certain words have actual meanings and are used for certain reasons to communicate certain ideas. And then coming to this where is much more, if I knew more, I don't know enough, you know, enough like classical Greek about, you know, arguments and arguments and you know logos versus pathos and you know stuff like stuff like that but it's like yeah all of the actual in, any sort of like non-emotional context context is stripped out this is just becomes almost like a bunch of That's shit put right. together just to just to like you know to amp up the emotional response and further you know it is 
I guess this is like their form of agitprop. I I don't know, but yeah. alongside but, with a way to alongside a way to like make some money off the rubes, but yeah. I think there's definitely a scare tactic to it. I mean, he he talks at, at multiple points about how you know the, there was this article in the New York Times 20 years ago that said this is all these are all loosely adjoined theories that don't really have any overlap, and he's like, no. They all have an overlap. They're based on core Marxist tenets, right? And even though they might seem disparate and disorganized, the the, the, the real there's a real specter here of many multiple fronts taking some something core for Marx and Marxism and attacking American culture and society, right? So I mean, there there definitely is an effective emotional element to that, you know. A, again, as far as like how well is it executed, you know. It, do you need a real intellectual like I don't know, fucking Paul Gottfried or someone to write the the effective version of this? I, I, I'm not sure, you know. But there's certainly a quick buck idea here, right? Like Le- Levin can put his name on pictures of dog poop tomorrow and it'd be a New York Times bestseller, I'm sure. But you know, like they're they're yeah, I, I'm struggling with how much credit to give him and how much to to how has, much I can think and laugh away, you know. I, he has to keep, he has to keep producing. You know, that's just the nature of the beast, right? So he's yeah. going to have to book. I, I think that, yeah, that there's that what he does is he writes to, you know, there's a group of people that he knows that he can stoke up and he, he it's pretty easy, as you can tell by the, you know, by the the prose that, that comes through with it. But yeah, no. but he has to produce, you know what I mean? Like, like he has no choice but to produce. I, I think we, I mean, I think all of that's correct. There's also... Um, the commerce element <laughs> that yeah. is really important and also because the agitprop is much more effective on the radio or it's much more effective on Fox News or online. Yeah, the much more like, hot media. So, yeah, you know, but, rather than but what this does is it like lends credibility to him. Right. You know, there's this like there are a lot of, well, I don't know, like petite bourgeois Americans who have long sort of fancied themselves as something of the intellectual sort, even though, and so like these are the same people who, like 50 years ago, were buying Encyclopedia Britannicas. They don't want to be seen as somebody who gets their ideas just from a conservative radio host. Now they can get their ideas from somebody who writes books and writes books that analyze really important ideas and topics and thinkers so there's you know like i think somebody said early on that a lot of the books that were purchased won't actually be read i think that's right but they'll sit on shelves or coffee tables airport bookstores yeah they'll they'll sort of be a sort of credential or a bona fide yeah the uh, and the per the person brandishing you know american marxism in an argument to to justify their own position can feel very assured that Whoever they're saying it to is not going to go read American Marxism. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You got this he- this heavy three hundred marks for that matter. Yeah. <laughs> well, certainly not Marx. Forget it. I I just wanted to get uh, your reaction to one quote from this book real quick. Sure, if that's all right. But let's see. Marx's insistence that labor alone creates value is also incorrect. If that were mm. the case, the third world would not be the third world. It would be flourishing. <laughs> Longer workdays do not ensure wealth creation or growth. Of course, 
Labor is a very important part of economic value and production, but without capital investment, entrepreneurship, and sensible risk-taking, wise management, etc., businesses would fail as many do. Yeah, that was, I, I remember reading that and thinking, hmm, I don't know if there's a more sort of like blatant way to butcher Marx's theory of surplus mm-hmm. value in relation to the labor theory of value. Yeah, you know, like this happened throughout the book. It's just profoundly ignorant of Marx. Yeah. Profoundly ignorant. And, you know, there would be so many instances where he would like, here's a two page block quote from Dewey. And then he would have some like little throwaway line, like, just like Marx said. Like, mm-hmm. no, Marx never said or thought anything of the sort. So, yeah, like the notion that because people in the third world work longer and harder than the rest of us, that they should be wealthier kind of misses the point, doesn't it? <laughs> and, he, and he went further in that quote that Jacobs got there. And this is in the first seven or eight pages, right? And he's like, you know, profit does not create uh, worker exploitation. Rather, I have mixed quotes here, but it makes possible increased worker pay, benefit security, and job opportunities. And I'm like, fucking yeah, that sounds great. Where has all that been? Where has all that been for the working class in the last 40 (laughs) years? You know what I mean? Yeah, it's it's just this like, you know, again, I don't don't want to give him too much credit. It probably is ignorance of Marx. He's probably on some Jordan Jordan Peterson shit. I mean, I'm sure he read it at Temple when he was getting his degrees, right? But he hasn't probably looked at it in 35 or 40 years. But, you know, he he can gloss over that shit. And it doesn't matter because his audience believes that that's what Marxism is and believes that's what Marx said, right? But there's a a certain – I wonder if there's a certain, like, proud – he's proud of – his ignorance of Marx. I don't know. Like, for example, I'll be really curious to see if when the next printing of this book comes out, which maybe it's already out, it's going to be soon, if he corrects the Franklin School mistake, yeah. right? or if he just owns it. The, like, yeah, who cares? Like, that's not the, the editor said they were going to fix that one, yeah. Well, no, we'll yeah, we'll <laughs> so see it when we leave the it. Paper, the paperback will at least say Frankfurt School. They've already yeah. admitted that, yeah. The gotcha. Frankfurt School from Berlin. Yeah. yeah Berlin. <laughs> All right, well, Andrew, thank you for joining us tonight. Do you have anything that you would want to plug or a wave, anything that folks should uh, keep an eye out for or or ways that you know anybody can get in touch with you you know i'm on twitter but the most important thing is in like two years read my book all right there you go <laughs> on marxism in america yeah, american put, marxism he just put out he just put out a book about culture wars and you'll see him here and there on different pods but yeah keep an eye out for his <laughs> american marxism the response in yeah, uh, in in 2024 but thanks yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, man. thanks, Andrew. Thanks for being up for this on a uh, on a school night. Yeah, take thanks, care. Andrew. Yep, later, man. To be continued on the next episode of giving the mic to the wrong person.